What is faith? It's a common and simple word, but sometimes these are the kind of words that are hardest to define. Faith is confident assurance in the Word of God, but it's more than just acknowledging some biblical facts. Faith is active. It makes my choices. It affects everything about my life. How do I get intentional about living out my faith? Open up your Bible to the book of James. Do you have faith? Do you really believe? Let's see. Let's um, turn to the Word. Are you there? James chapter 2. And I'm going to ask that you would pray for me. And I will pray for you as we approach God's Word together today. Father, last week we talked about where your Word says we need to receive with meekness the implanted Word. And I pray, Father, for all of us here today. We're meek. We're ready to hear from you. We're ready to learn. Might the seed of your Word fall on good soil our hearts and produce as only you can. Father, we glorify your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. James chapter 2, are you there? When I was interning out in uh, Joliet, Illinois, I went to uh, the first small group in this church, where this Harvest Church where I was interning. And in this small group, they had an icebreaker question. It was, share the favorite vacation you've ever been on. What's your most favorite vacation you've ever been on? So they were going around the room, and everybody was sharing. And I was seated um, next to this blonde woman, and uh, they said her, her husband wasn't with her that night. But it got to be her turn, and she said, well, one time... Uh, we were going to go on a cruise. And she says, my husband just really didn't want to go. He said, what is there going to be to do? What's it going to be like? Are there going to be black people there? And she kept talking, and I was just like, did I just walk into a Klan meeting? Like, what is going on here? It got... Almost as uncomfortable as the room is right now. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm obviously the outsider here. I'm the new guy. But I, I got to say something here. I can't just... But, 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 so my mind's racing. Okay, how are we going to address this? And finally, um, when she was done sharing, I, I'm not even sure what I said. Uh, I just turned to her and I said something like, I'm... I said, I have to ask, why was your husband concerned about black people being on the cruise? And she doubled over laughing hysterically, tears. She goes, oh my gosh, she says, you don't know. She says, you haven't met him. She goes, my husband's black. I'm like, oh. And you know what? He loves that story. We became friends. His name's Andre. Great guy. He loves that story. But it's a story um, of things that were potentially very ugly that turned out to be funny. But uh, truth is, real 
racism doesn't go that way, does it? You know, it's, it's very sad and it's very strange that we live in a world where you pick a reason, any reason, to hate someone to any degree, whether it's flat-out hatred, despise, or whether it's, I don't like to be around that kind of person. Whether it's skin color or education or looks, clothes, money. Call it racism, call it bigotry, call it prejudice. They all belong to the same rotten family. And here in James, he calls it partiality. And that's what we're going to talk about today because that's where he goes in the text. So I have to ask you, are you a partial person? Would you consider yourself to be impartial? Do you, do you treat everybody the same? I mean, do you really treat and value everybody the same? You know, uh, what was it, a year or two ago, Najee Harris from the Pittsburgh Steelers came to church here. Yes, it was an accident, but he came. And there were a few of us that were totally geeking out, like, wow, Najee Harris was here! Najee Harris was here! And I was thinking a lot about that this week. Like, shouldn't we celebrate every first-time visitor like that? The reality is partiality can happen in the church. And it can happen in this church. And it's a serious thing to God. This is an extremely serious thing to God. So we have to start here very quickly. Um, God is impartial. All right? We can't go any further, really, until we establish that. God is impartial. Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods. And Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Right? New Testament, Peter discovered this as well. Acts chapter 10 says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The Bible says, That God is impartial, and as his children, if you are one of his children, he expects you to be as well. So again, that's where we're going in the text. Uh, The outline heading is how to love people like God loves people. So I want you to jot some things down here. Number one, don't deny your faith. Christ followers are not partial. All right? Verse one says, my brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So stop there. This is like the whole sermon. But if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, but you show partiality to people for any reason, it it just doesn't make sense. He says you can't hold on to the faith, and also be partial to people for any reason. It's it's in complete conflict with what we believe. 
It'd be like saying that someone is a Christian abortion advocate. You'd be like, that doesn't make any kind of sense. And for somebody to be a, a Christian racist, it doesn't make any sense. That's James's point here in verse 1. Look at verse 2. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, I'll stop there. As we talk about partiality and all of that, understand that James was addressing the issue that his church needed to hear. And that was partiality specifically due to social status, to money. That was the issue that they needed to have addressed. So he gives a hypothetical here, right? It's a hypothetical situation. He goes, so, okay, so like a guy comes in wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothing. <laughs> Sadly, in our culture today, I don't imagine with this crowd, but if I would share this in a different setting, I think there'd be a lot of people that would be like, that's right, shame on the rich man. Shame on the rich man. Being, being rich is bad, right? Right? The bad man is rich, right? And that's not what he's saying here at all. A man having money isn't the problem. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm astounded. I never thought that I'd get at this point in my ministry where um, I've had so many occasions over the years where people have asked me, do you, do you know what Joel Osteen makes? I'm like, why do I care what Joel Osteen makes? I'm not married to him. Like, why, why do I care? But there's this mentality that if somebody has money, that's bad. And that is not at all what James is saying. Okay? You know, what is he saying? Look at verse 3. He says, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit down at my feet. Stop there. You see, the problem's not the rich man. The problem's you. The problem is you when you treat people differently. Right? Like, let's cater to this guy. This, this, this guy comes in, he obviously, you know, has money. Like, let's, you know, oh, the, that, we, we want this guy to be a part of our church. He's got bags. You know, that's what the cool kids call having money now. At least that's what Samuel Giannetti told me. And, um, but that was a few months ago, so that probably changed, right? That probably changed. They're like, that guy's got bags. I bet he could really help the church. And some guy comes in, and he's not looking like he has money. And you're like, um, hey, hey, bro, uh, I don't really care where you go, but get where you're going. All right, and understand that the early church was mostly, mostly poor, common people. So you could see why there was a temptation for this kind of bias in in the people that James was addressing. I, I I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying I understand why there was this temptation for bias. 
you had this church where everybody's sitting around broke. And a wealthy guy walks in. It's like, hey, this, this guy could really help the church, right? You know, contextualizing, and I think, you know, like church planting. You know, I remember church starting out having, you know, a dozen people, 20 people. Uh, we had no people, and we had even less money. And I'm just saying, in that scenario, it would be real easy, like if we had one of our church planting core group meetings where two new people come in and like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Uh, what do you do? Like, well, I'm the, I'm the president of Allegheny Health. Like, whoa, oh, well, please, would you like to sit next to the podium? I'm so glad you're here. And then the other guy comes in and you're like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, I, I mopped the floors of Pantera bread across the street. And I'm like, oh, well, you can, you can just, you can wait in the lobby. You see, you're catering to people based on external things. In verse four, not great. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says, listen, you're making distinctions. And that's evil because that is not like God at all. That's not like God. You know, so often today we hear people virtue signal, whether in person or especially on social media, people want to say things like, you know, I, I love everybody the same. I don't care if you're black or white or purple. I don't care where you work or what you do or what you have or what you make. Is that really true? Because James is illustrating here, it doesn't really matter what you say, right? I guarantee you everybody would say that. What matters is how you treat people. Because if the Bible's true, and I believe that it is, every single person that you meet is an eternal soul. And we each have our unique bodies and life circumstances, and we present a little differently, but we have to see everyone as an eternal soul with equal value. That's why James says you can't, you can't hold on to the faith and be partial at the same time, right? So how to love people like God loves people, don't deny your faith. That's just not who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Number two, how to love people like God loves people, uh, don't disregard reality. Rich does not equal great, and poor does not equal bad. Rich does not equal great, and poor does not equal bad. You know, we have this tendency to show favoritism to the rich because rich people are amazing, and they only do amazing things. True or false? Well, you're saying false, but you have to push back on this a little bit. Aren't we just overly fascinated by wealthy people? like way too overly fascinated by wealthy people. Think of uh, when I was a kid, there was a TV show called 
Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. How many people, show of hands, how many people remember that? With Robin Leach, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Remember that? That was a terrible impersonation. I'll work on it. And you're like, oh, I'm glad we, uh, glad we don't have shows like that anymore. But, uh, have you ever heard of Cribs? How many of you heard of Cribs? Oh, more of you. Okay. Isn't that like the same thing? Like, hey, here's a wealthy person. Let's check out their house. And it, the, the reality shows, it, it's, it's astounding to me that we have reality shows. It's basically like there's a camera crew in these people's living room, and we're watching them. We're watching them watch TV. Oh, it's an exciting episode today. They're going to go into the kitchen and fry an egg. Like, why are we watching this? Because they're rich and they're fascinating, right? We have shows like uh, Jay Leno's Garage, where we get to see all of the cars that this rich man has. And again, there's nothing wrong with, with having money and having stuff. I just think it's so funny how, and so interesting, how fascinated we are. So not only do we have this tendency to be fascinated and therefore show favoritism to the rich, the other hand is we just naturally tend to snub the poor. That whether we would verbalize it or not, there's this tendency to think, well, poor destitute people just really aren't that important. That's a horrible thing to say out loud. It's a horrible attitude to have. But there's no, there's, uh, there's no reality shows for poor or even regular type people. So if you're showing favoritism to the rich and you're snubbing the poor, well, James is about to tell us here you're, you're being ignorant because you just really haven't been paying attention. Look at verse 5. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? James says that God has this track record of going after the poor. Now listen. I'm going to be saying this a few times because somebody's going to like doze off and tune back in and completely miss the context of what we're saying here. Listen, this is a general statement. James isn't saying the only people who have ever had faith are poor people. He is not saying that, okay? James is not saying that. He's making an in-general statement. In fact, there's a lot of wealthy Believers in Scripture, right? Abraham, Job, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea. He's just speaking in general, in general. God has a a special regard for the poor. Okay? Psalm 68.10, In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. God has a heart for the poor. Proverbs 17.5 says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. It's a pretty pretty serious verse. And I, I 
I could spend all morning telling you all the provisions that the Old Testament law had for taking care of the poor. But we're, gonna, we're not going to do that. Look at verse 6. He says, uh, the first part, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man. You've dishonored the poor by not loving them as you should. Do you think that they matter less? See James's point, he goes, not to God. If God regards them as such, how do you think you should treat them? Oh, and for you, those of you that still do think that rich equals amazing, look at the rest of verse 6. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into courts? Again, in general, throughout history, until today, how does it normally work? Do poor people oppress rich people, or do rich people oppress poor people? Which way does that generally go? The rich oppress the poor, right? That's James's point. Verse 7, he says, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So again, in general, who do we hear mock and blaspheme the name of Jesus? In general, the poor or the rich? Well, think about it in these terms. Go on a mission trip to Vision Appalachia or to Thailand and um, tell me how much blasphemy you hear among the poor people there. And then turn on some kind of one of these goofy, you know, these Hollywood award shows where they get on TV and they all pat themselves on the back and applause each other and congratulate each other. And how much blasphemy are you going to hear there? You see? That's James's point. In general. In general. James is saying partiality, showing favoritism towards the rich, doesn't really make sense when you consider reality. When you consider history, James says, eh, the rich aren't always the best people. So to put somebody up on a pedestal just because they have money, James is saying that's not a great idea. And the poor? Well, God seems to have a special place in his heart for them. So should you. Right? So don't disregard reality. Rich, rich doesn't always equal great, and poor doesn't always equal bad. And number three, don't disobey God's word. Partiality is a serious sin. Look at verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. I think Jesus said something about that too, didn't he? We should love our neighbor as ourselves. How? How do we love? How do we? He says, as yourself. And I've talked about this before. We all love ourselves. That's default mode. And I've shared with you uh, even recently, it just kind of, it kind of irritates me when I hear people say, you just need to learn how to love yourself. No, you don't. 
That's the problem that every single human being has. We are so in love with ourselves. We are so self-focused, self-absorbed, all about me, all about my preferences. You're like, well, you know, somebody's going to say, you know, Pastor Jeff, that's not me. I hate myself. I hate myself. I just hate myself. That's a form of self-love because you're still putting all of the attention, all of the focus, all of the spotlight on yourself. You're loving yourself by being so self-absorbed. God's Word tells us that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Like, well, how do we do that? Well, who do you focus on taking care of? Yourself, right? Don't you make sure that you're the one that has eaten, hydrated, you're warm enough. There's just this natural default mode that I'm always looking to make sure that my needs are taken care of. And you see, when the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, love isn't just sentimental feelings. Like, oh, I, I care about you. I, I, I feel a little warm fuzzies for you. Biblical love is not about the feelings. Biblical love is about meeting needs. And that's why James is, is, is bringing this verse up. If you were destitute, just pretend for a second that you were completely destitute and you walked into a church hoping that somebody could help you out somehow, how would you want people to treat you? Well, that's the way that you need to be treating others. James says, you're doing this, you're doing well. Actually, well is a bit of an understatement. The Greek word could be translated excellently. Look at verse 9. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He says, if you, if you show partiality to people, you're guilty of sin, and you're guilty of breaking God's law. And look, I can read the room here. I can tell on the look on a lot of your faces that you're like, yeah. He seems awfully fired up about a subject that just kind of doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, is it really that big of a deal? I can understand talking about, you know, lust or talking about, you know, dangers of addiction or talking about, you know, like real hatred. But this, I kind of prefer some people over others. Like, you're like, is this really a big deal? You're like, Pastor Jeff, this is kind of a throwaway sermon. Can we get back to talking about some serious things? Well, according to James, this is as serious as it gets. Because look at verse 10. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. This is serious business. How many laws do you have to break in order to be called a lawbreaker? How many? Uno, right? One. Breaking 
this is what James is saying. Breaking any of God's law is defying God's authority. So even breaking it at one point, even a point that you don't think is that big of a deal, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. It would be like if I took a hammer and chisel and went over to the window and said, hey, I'm going to get you just a little piece of glass off of here. I'm just going to get you a little little postage stamp-sized piece of glass off of this window for you. And I hold the chisel up there and crank with the hammer. What's going to happen? Am I going to get a little, just one little piece of glass? The whole thing's going to shatter, right? And that's what James is saying about God's law. If you've broken it at one point, you've basically said, God, I reject you as the one who tells me what to do because I'm not doing this. Well, guess what? Now you're guilty of the whole law. This is serious business. Look at verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James gives an illustration. Uh, He didn't just pick two random sins. You know, adultery and murder. Do you know what they have in common? Those were uh, two sins that required the death penalty under Old Testament law. Like, wow, James put the sin of partiality in very serious company very quickly, didn't he? And actually, if you think about it, it's in the murder family. Because didn't Jesus say that uh, that hatred is the same as murder? It's not a small thing. Listen, and if you walk out of here today, say, yeah, I see what he's saying, but you know what? There's just certain type of people that I don't prefer. And I'm never going to. Well, according to James, you've not only violated your profession of faith, but you've also violated the Word of God. Verse 12, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. James says, you better speak and act like someone who's going to be judged because your works matter. And you're like, okay, all right, all right. Now I know you've gone off the hizzy, Jeff, because we're not saved by our works. Right? No, you're not. You're saved by faith in Christ. But, this is going to be a whole other sermon someday. We're going to be judged by our works. We're going to be judged by our works because works reveal whether you have true faith or not. And that's the whole sermon next week, so we'll talk more about that then. But works are the basis of judgment. And that's why I look at verse 13. He says, for judgment is without mercy the one who has shown no mercy. You see, if you're someone, James is saying, that you don't show mercy to the poor, that shows that you've never known God's mercy. You're unredeemed. You have no compassion. You have no grace. You have no mercy because when you know God's, He changes you. And His Spirit 
makes you love people like God loves people. So if you don't, you haven't been changed because you haven't been saved. And the judgment that you're going to receive is going to be horrible. He says judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So, whether the people are rich or poor, whether they're black or white, or whether they're wearing tucks or crocs, if you are saved, if you know God's mercy, you can't help but want to give that kind of love to everyone and anyone without partiality. Oh, one more thing. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Underline that in your Bibles. Because when you have God's mercy, when you're someone who has experienced the the mercy of God by faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about judgment. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Or, as our Lord put it, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. All right. That was the introduction. Here's the sermon. Really verse 1. You can't hold on to the faith. You can't say that you're a believer. You can't say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and at the same time show partiality towards people. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You know, as we look at some glorious truths in this text, he talked about breaking the law at one point, you're guilty of the whole law. So that makes us all people who are desperately in need of grace. We see here that God is impartial. So we should not only be thankful for that, but we should imitate his impartiality. We see that we have no fear of judgment when we know Jesus Christ because mercy triumphs over judgment. And I thought, what better way is there to celebrate these truths than by gathering around his table? I'm going to ask if our communion service would come up. We're going to invite you to receive the Lord's Supper. Now, you don't have to be a member of this church to receive the Lord's Supper. But you do have to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And if you are, He invites you. So in just a moment, the worship team is going to play, and we're going to ask that you, when you're ready, that you would come down the center aisles, receive uh, the elements from a brown up here, and then uh, return to your seat to the outside aisle. And I'm going to ask that you would hold on to those elements, and then as a sign of unity in our church, I'll get up and we will uh, take the Lord's Supper together. Okay, so whenever you're ready, please come and receive. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy and it is secure. 
All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.